The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Great to have you on a Wednesday. It's Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery, who is across the window. It's Elijah Herbal. He is back from Old Miss. He is back from the Grove. He's back from some, uh, you saw Arkansas Miss? Yes, yes. Great series. So how did it shake out? So Arkansas won uh, two of the three. They won the series. Uh, so that dropped Ole Miss down to, I think, six in the ratings. Uh, but the Friday night game got canceled, turned into a doubleheader Saturday. Went to game two of the doubleheader Saturday night. I'm not sure if you saw the uh, – there was a home run in the game. Mm-hmm. Big old beer shower in right field. Now it's right in the middle of it. So you were in a beer shower. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you were able to um, pace yourself on a Friday night with no baseball down in the, uh, the, uh, the old south. How was that? You're not a stranger to Ole Miss. You've got a buddy down there. Uh, it looks incredible when game day's there. <laughs> I was 20 years younger, you know. Man, it would have been uh, a party to check out. You're, uh, you're, you're the responsible type. But uh, did you enjoy yourself aside from the sports? Yeah, I spent like a total of, it was more than 48 hours, less than 72 hours down there. And the entire culture in Oxford, Mississippi, or at least uh, the, the people I was interacting with, which is the college students, it's all just drinking and daddy's money. So it, it, gets, it gets tiring quick. But I got to say... Did you have to pick up a tab? Oh, yeah. I mean, the thing is, all the bars down there, $25 covers. Yeah. Because they can. Because they can. That's the thing. And there was this one. So I $25 was, cover? $25 cover. Just wait. So we're gonna get a free dance with that, Elijah. There's this place down there called Harrison's, and what it is is they have their their main bar set up, and then uh, like kind of like down a little hill, like pretty much right next to the uh, to Harrison's. Uh, they have their own little mini beer garden with like cornhole and live music set up. Mm-hmm. And uh, my friends texted me like, "Hey, we're at Harrison's. Come meet us over here. Go to Harrison's. Walk in the main bar. Twenty five dollar cover. And I, I don't see my friends in there." Um, and then I see like over the little fence, like, oh, there's, there's the beer garden. I walk around there and I show them the wristband and they say, oh no, that's, that's the wristband for the other bar. This is, this is the beer garden. You got to pay another $25 cover. So you were 50 deep before you got too deep. Yes. Yeah. It, it's ridiculous now. Cause it's all daddy's money. I, I don't want to say all daddy's money, but a lot of, it's like well, the, the people in the South Grandpa that have and money. Grandma's money. <laughs> well, the, the people in the South that have money, they go send their kid off to Ole Miss. So, and yeah, and you know, twenty five to get in. I I I pray that a a bushlight or Coors or whatever you're drinking down there is not seven fifty for a tall boy. I'll say at the bars, reasonable prices on the drinks. At the baseball game, though, um, you can drink down there. Uh, well, you so all the student section. Uh, if you have a 
a 21 year old ID if you're of age mm-hmm. they let you bring in a personal supply of beers uh, for yourself your into the student section and, and a personal supply is defined as 20 wow <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> so um so me and my friends we only had a couple coolers so we actually ran through I think we brought in 60 uh beers and we ran through those before the the fourth inning so I, I'd go to the concession stand uh, and go get myself a beer where it was eight dollars. I can see now why the students bring it in. And the, the big problem was well, I went and got myself a beer uh, from the concession stand, sat down, uh, and one batter later, home run beer shower. So eight dollar beer was gone. Uh, was up in the air about it was gone five due minutes to after I got it. <laughs> no, I was I was throwing that beer. Like good for you. Uh, the the economics of bar hopping in the SEC by Elijah Herbal. No, I. I that's worse than spring break. Way worse than spring break. Yeah, but I will say it, it wasn't all uh, just a fun, for fun trip. I did some work down there, and that was just asking people around Mississippi what they thought of Husker football. You got, you got Medcalf coming on the show. Okay, <laughs> I wish. Right? I wish. That's the work you got done. And their take on Husker football? Uh, I don't want to say this too harshly, but it's basically Husker football is living in the past. They're a bunch of has-beens. They haven't been relevant since the 90s. Yeah, that's uh, that's old Miss's take, and Nebraska's response would be, "Dude, there's a long line of teams that have paid to win, okay? And if you pay to win, you better go Auburn, allegedly with Cam Newton and get a title out of it. Uh, you don't pay to win to to go two and one against Saban and then get get threatened to be put in the uh, the NCAA electric chair." Uh, with your your head coach, you freeze, and and now you got Lane Kiffin, and you'll be okay. But you're back to like seven and five, eight and four, best case scenario, as long as Nick's ruling the SEC West, mm. and you got Jimbo at a at a and M. I was disappointed. I, apparently, Lane Kiffin frequents all the uh, the bars down in Oxford. Of course, he does. And he's a single man. So so they, they, apparently, he's always always in the bars with some beautiful women. I, I didn't get a chance to see. Him. That's that's when I would have gone up and tried to get an interview if I saw Lane Kiffin in the bars. Well, Lane's been on with this before. Has he? Oh yeah, about three or four times. Oh, that, then I would have had the connection. I I have a, I think it's an USC phone number for him, but yeah, we we had Lane on those you know two forgetful years that Nebraska played SC. This is years ago, oh five oh six. But Lane was kind of our USC correspondent. So if I, if I would have walked, he would have not. You would have not doesn't know me, doesn't need to know me, doesn't <laughs> remember me. That's fine. But we had a good time chatting because Monty and. His time here in, in Lincoln. I mean, his dad's a legend, obviously. Oh, and and they all love uh, laying down at uh, down at Ole Miss. Of course, he's, just, he's he, probably he, buying the rounds. Yeah, he, he's he's a legend down there. He's always uh, apparently behind the backstop of baseball games, wearing like his recruiting T-shirt. Like, come to the sip, <laughs> come to the sip, and he's got his he's got his. Uh, I got a visor, and I can pull it off because I still got great hair. Mm, mm. This was fun. I'm glad you went. Any pictures? Uh, <laughs> uh, none that I remember taking. <laughs> okay, hey, that's fine. That's fine. So that is the field trip for Elijah Herbal down to check out a little SEC baseball. Baseball America's released their uh, their bubble watch. We'll talk baseball here with Mike Babcock in Nebraska. Huskers have submitted a, uh, a a regional request, which is great. As of now, three Big Ten teams for baseball are projected to make the field of 64. Michigan's a two-seed. 
Ohio State's a three seed, and I think I, I think Michigan's in the South Bend Regional if they're projecting as of the the, the postseason starting today. Nebraska is a two seed, uh, and this is this is classic. Nebraska will be facing off in the Arkansas Regional. Van Horn, Will Bolt, why not? Will uh, you know former player, former team, and you have Arkansas as the number one national seed. This is the year that Van Horn gets it done in, in Omaha, supposedly. And I, you know, he's awesome. I hope he does well uh, at Arkansas this season. But that's where Nebraska's slated to go as of now from Baseball America. Man, that Arkansas team is good. After, after watching this weekend. Oh, like like we think Nebraska baseball is good this year. And they are. They're really good. Very good for the, for the Big Ten. Um, but you go watch Arkansas, and it just doesn't seem like they have a weakness in their team. Their pitching is great. Their hitting is great. Mm-hmm. It just it, SEC baseball is just incredible. Well, you, you look at the field of 64, and there are 62 SEC teams <laughs> in the field of 64. Let's dive in. Uh, busy show. Uh, a really awesome sit-down uh, coming up here in less than an hour with Barry Alvarez. So Barry will be with us at 5.05. Uh, Mike Schuhart uh, in about 30 minutes. Babbers, Mike Babcock uh, from Hale Varsity in uh, 10 minutes. Numbers to dial up, 466-3776-800-825-5865. Pretty good day. Went down to post-practice and... Uh, you had uh, Coach Lubick and Coach Chenander, both coordinators, chatted today. Uh, several players came by and, and uh, did their post game. We'll hear from some of the players in the five o'clock hour, but let's uh, get things kicked off here with Lubick and uh, kind of a progress report here on where the offense is at because that's that's really where you're at and and right now here's what i think you're wrestling with as a nebraska fan and and it's okay the the optimism versus the hype train right you're optimistic you like what you're hearing defensively you feel good offensively you know what steps are being taken to get beyond competent but to become lethal like be a really good offense that can just put up yards and turn those yards into points here in 2021. But you don't want to get too overboard because you're afraid, and that's okay, of of, of the expectations not meeting yours. You're afraid the offense won't be where it needs to be, despite the good news you're hearing from spring football. But here is your progress on the offense. Here's Coach Lubick. Steady. Uh, guys are the attitude's been great in the spring we throw a lot of stuff at guys um, our whole offense and then some when we go into a game we'll probably do about a quarter of what we've installed now so guys are really handling it well I've uh, been really impressed with guys the way they're studying off the field and daily improvement you know we talk about we want guys to constantly strive for just getting better each one day at a time and, and we see that at really all position groups on offense so the big takeaway is is Adrian Martinez. What what's a year four look like this spring for Adrian? What can a year four look like for Adrian in the fall? And Coach Lubick was asked about you know who's standing out. What are some some players on offense that are kind of making you go wow? And and Adrian's name came up. The receiver position is interesting because a lot of those guys were first year players last year, 
and so it's just naturally for them to take a step up. Um, Adrian is a guy that's, to me, you know, I, I thought he had a good last year, especially with his uh, his completion percentage and really improved towards the end of the year. He's taken it another level from a leadership standpoint and an accuracy standpoint. Um, and I, I even think from a fitness standpoint, I already knew he's a good athlete and, and fast, but he looks even a step faster. And he's uh, he's throwing balls on time. He's he's really making the receivers and tight ends and everybody look good because uh, he, he's putting the ball where he's supposed to be on a consistent basis. So he's he's jumped out of me. I mean, Austin Allen's leadership. He's taken that to the next level. And and, uh, you know, he's a senior. He's probably one of our best players last year. But he is not content with that. I mean, he's 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 taken his practice habits and the will to win and which rubs off on everybody else to another level. So. Here's kind of the math I've done, and I go back to how disappointing the the finish was to 19. You fought to play in 20, but it was so choppy and and uncertain last year that that a lot of these guys and Coach Lubick said, you know, first year to second year a lot today. You're going to see a jump through development, understanding, confidence, playing fast, just kind of finding your groove the more you do something, and you're going to find better production as an offensive player, as a defensive player, whatever you do. Pick sports, get out of sports, whatever. The more you do something, the better you're at it. And when when Coach Lubick kind of dials down into the well, look at these first year guys. Now they're second year guys. He's talked about it with Omar. He's talked about it with Alante Brown. He's talked about it. Adrian's been here a long time, but you're seeing the the progression because hey, they're getting spring. Hey, they've had winter conditioning. You had to go and kind of forge forward a year ago without. All right, much of a winter, and then you got no spring. You got a delayed fall, and then go play, <laughs> okay, without much development or practice time in comparison to what you're getting this year. So maybe if you would have had a normal year, non-COVID a year ago, maybe maybe more time together would have produced a better record in a bowl season last year for Nebraska. Well, Things were shaken up. You were what you were. You won three games last year. And now you're seeing kind of that full year and now a second year together with some of these guys actually get some footing. And Adrian's different because he's been here the longest. But it's it helps him out if his wideouts and his O-line and the defense all takes, you know, several steps on the old Monopoly board game together forward. And, and I think that's what you're getting underlined and, and exclamation pointed here by Lubick, where, hey, these first-year guys are now second-year guys. They're, they have time to work on their craft. They're getting better. We're developing. They're putting in time themselves. It's moving forward, which is nice. And you've had some, some commitment, for sure, from Adrian Martinez uh, with where he's at. So it's not that, that Adrian's a surprise, but just – what he looks like, his body, that's been highlighted. What he's been able to do from an accuracy standpoint. And Elijah, he's got some big dudes to throw to uh, that, that are getting separation. They're taking more shots downfield. Last thought from Lubick on Adrian here uh, with uh, some things that stuck out today. Yeah, he, he's always had great zip and arm strength. And uh, you know, I think 
an NFL arm strength. But the thing that I've noticed is he's taken his accuracy to another step. So and 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 thrown when he has to put touch on the ball, he's put touch on the ball. And that's why we've been able to complete a little more deep balls than we have in the past. So I, I've been really happy with, with the way he's throwing the ball. So you're seeing that, that progression, that's important, that's okay to go from optimism, but stop before you jump on the hype train. And uh, with Adrian and the rest of the offense, it's so key where you're seeing that, uh, that development actually happen. And it was just stunted slash delayed likely last year because of COVID. But whenever you look at the secondary that's across from them, you, you got to think if these, these guys are finding success in practice, I mean, that's going to be one of the better secondaries they face all year is, is the first stringers in practice. Yeah, because your secondary, 75% of it's back. We'll hear from Coach Chenander a little bit later on. Uh, great to be with you on a Wednesday. It's Hale Varsity. Mike Babcock on the way. We're presented by the Nebraska Lottery. And we're back. Fellas, think we could... Listen to the radio. On Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Yes! That's awesome! Coming up, Barry Alvarez with us at 5 on Hale Varsity Radio. We say hi to historian, author, Hall of Famer with Hale Varsity Magazine, HaleVarsity.com. Mike Babcock with us at MD Babs on Twitter. Mike, how's the uh, Wednesday treating you? Good to spend some time. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm doing well, Chris. I hope you are as well. We are, man. Good day uh, post-practice, and I know you got caught up with uh, Will Bolt in Husker Baseball, so we'll head there a little bit. But wanted to dive into some, some thoughts from, from Coach Lubick, and we were spending some time on Adrian Martinez and just what, what has happened this spring and kind of the wow and, and, again, that dynamic between optimism and then the old hype train that, that kind of got uh, out of the gates and downhill quickly in 2019 and – you know, Lubick mentioned a lot of that jump that guys from year one have taken now to year two, specifically in the receiving core with Elante Brown and Omar Manning and, and, and some fellas like that, plus the, the experienced guys like Adrian and, and Austin Allen really up in their game. That's just the offensive side of the ball. But everyone suffered last year with COVID and uh, physically, mentally, and uh, you just kind of had to make do, and we were thankful to have a football season. But uh, it feels like, and it sounds like, when you get a, a, a full winter and you get a spring that's happening and you're going to get a summer, and then you get to go into the season versus none of the above, and then go, you know, let's go have a season, uh, you might see a different result from Nebraska here, at least on the offensive side of the ball. Well, yeah, I think, and, uh, you know, again, we say this all the time, but, you know, I think there's talent at wide receiver or, you know, receiver. Mm-hmm. I think there's talent at running back. Um, you know, you, we've got some proven guys in the offensive line, experienced guys. You've got, obviously, a proven quarterback. But the, the areas where they have talent but nobody has really stepped up, that's what, that, that's what has to happen. You know, we've got to see some of these guys – actually step up when the season begins and and uh you know springtime is a great time for optimism you know everything's good uh it's it's uh you know there's always potential and you know this looks like it's going to be a better situation than last year and so forth but um that's pretty much what the way it is every spring and and we you know we need to see these guys step up 
and and do some things and that's you know that's where it's at i think is that the, the talent is there i think um but let's see some guys step up uh it just can't be a lot of a lot of guys that we say good things about but on game day who's stepping up mike babcock's with us hail varsity magazine hail varsity.com and and guys step up at different times and parts of their career there's ultimately a time to go do it and it feels like that just because there's uh, some stars next to your name there's an expectation to, to come in and go kill it right away it's not uniform is it i mean it doesn't happen at the same time for everybody sometimes it's slower sometimes it's quicker i mean you have guys that you're waiting on that okay this is your three this is your four this is your you know red shirt year for x y or z and then you've got the example of a guy who got in early that's getting time because there's not a lot of availability at running back right now in Gabe Irvin. So it's not just uniform across the board that if you're a high-level prospect, you're going to come in and, and, and hit the ground running in college football. No, you're not. And that's, you know, that's one of the things that the dynamic has changed uh, dramatically with the transfer rule. It's a little more difficult. You know, guys come in. They've got great potential, but if they don't get an opportunity right away, uh, they're looking to go somewhere else. I mean, it, it, you know, there was a time where you could uh, look at guys and say, well, this guy really has potential, and, you know, it took a while for him to develop, but once, it, once he did, we, we saw, you know, what that potential was and why those stars were there, and, uh, you know, um, now... Um, the, the stars can be there, and if the guy doesn't have an immediate opportunity to do something, he's looking to go somewhere else. And so that makes it more difficult. And that makes it, you know, for the coaches, it certainly it makes it difficult uh, as well. But uh, again, when you have uh, you got a lot of talent in the room, um, some guys are not going to get the opportunity, and are they going to look to look to move on somewhere else? Yeah, Mike, while we're talking transfers, we have a report today from Nicole Auerbach that the the one-time transfer rule for athletes in all sports has been approved by the NCAA's uh, Division One Council, uh, but this not going to be uh, announced uh, until the end of the meetings Thursday. Um, but assuming that this uh, this rule does go into place, what are your thoughts on it? Good for college football, bad for college football? Well, um, you know, I, I've got, it's, it's kind of a conflicted attitude because I'm, I'm all for the student-athlete. You know, if whatever benefits a student athlete, because they they invest a lot of time and effort and you know whatever the commitment that's required to compete at that level. Uh, but by the same token, um, it's really difficult to to establish. Like I said, guys, you know, uh, some athletes mature quicker than others. Uh, some athletes make the transition. To college, to the college level, quicker than others, but they, you know, they can have the potential, but if they don't get the opportunity right away, they're they're looking to get out, and that, you know, that's going to make it more difficult on teams because uh, it's going to be harder to to develop depth. I think um, if you're a backup, but you're pretty good, you you might be looking to move somewhere else, and it's easier for you to do that. Um, but like I said, I'm conflicted because I'm I do favor the advantage to the student-athlete because of all that is committed there. Kind of comes down to a kid realizing what, what he doesn't know and, and who's he listening to, right? Yeah, is he yeah, frustrated? Exactly. Is he frustrated that 
Uh, it's not eight catches for 110 yards and two scores as a, as a true freshman. Uh, maybe because you're not ready or you don't know the playbook or you're not doing what you need to do off the field. I mean, there's a hundred reasons as to why guys won't play and contribute immediately. But if your coach is telling you one thing and someone else, someone else is in your ear telling you another that, man, they're, they're doing you wrong, go 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 down south or, or transfer somewhere else. I mean, it's going to be the, the same reset, but it's, a, it's a, again, a, a, a greener pasture somewhere else where you're not going to face the same adversity. It's so key, Mike, to, to get a guy that can listen and, and be mature, be, be a bit more grown up even at a young age. It's difficult, and I think that it, you know, if the, the greater the distance that the that the student athlete comes from, um, the more likely that he or she is going to look to, you know, maybe if they're if, if they're not getting the opportunity that they had had hoped, or they're not contributing uh, immediately, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're probably going to look to to go somewhere else. But you're right; people get in their ear too, and they say, "Hey, you know, you come here, and and, and we'll we'll put you in there." <laughs> and uh, it just gets uh, it gets really difficult, but you know it's it's uh, it's part of the process. I mean that's what the coaches get paid to do, I guess. And and if you develop that trust with that student athlete um, when uh, he or she is recruited, um, you know maybe you can avoid that. Babbers, let's talk a little bit about Husker baseball. You got a chance to, to hear from Will Bolt today. Uh, what was his message? I know Nebraska's got uh, Penn State looming this weekend, and you had the uh, Baseball America release their pre- preliminary field of 64. Nebraska's a two-seed at Arkansas. Yeah, yeah, I saw, I saw that. Yeah, so that there, you get the Nebraska's a two-seed, and the projection there uh, with the uh, number one team in the country <laughs> as the one seed, uh, and it's Dave Van Horn. It's Arkansas. It's you know all the all the subplots and so forth. That's a that's a tough deal, but. Uh, um, yeah, I, I, I really think that the Nebraska uh, continues to do what it's doing. You know, it, it belongs in the field, certainly. And uh, um, you know, I guess if you're in that if you're in that region, um, you do what you do. You you compete. But uh, yeah, that's one of the things. And I th- I think that you know the message is, remains the same with with Will Bolt. You know, it's like. Okay, you got one game on Friday night, and that's where the focus is. And then after you get through that, you got the game on Saturday. And after the, you get done with that, you got the game on Sunday. It's like one game at a time approach, and and I'm sure that that's the way they'll continue to do it because that's the way the coach um, requires it. And that's where how Nebraska has gotten to the point that it has right now. The thing that surprises me is that Nebraska doesn't get much. The Big Ten in general mm-hmm. just hasn't gotten any respect when you look at the rankings. Um, and in that projected Baseball America projection thing, I think uh, Michigan is a two, uh, a two in the projected in the region with Notre Dame, mm-hmm. I think. Yep. And Ohio State's a three. I forget what where it's projected, but yeah, they were they were down somewhere south in a, as as a three seed. Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt, yeah. <laughs> yep, Vanderbilt. You're right. So, so um, you got one squad in Arkansas, another down with Vandy, yeah, in their yeah, major league yeah, baseball starting here. starting rotation, right? Okay. So, yeah, yeah. You want respect? Okay, here we go. <laughs> Babbers, a thought on on Nebraska submitting 
uh, an application to host a regional. So there are thoughts if Nebraska wins the Big Ten regular season that, that maybe they could, could be a, a host site. Yeah, well, and I think that, you know, Nebraska has a, the facilities and the, uh, you know, the willingness and the, and the support, fan support. Um, and, uh, you know, golly, there was like the official attendance in a couple of games this weekend uh, at Hawks Field was a little over 3,100. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, they must have changed the because originally it said the limit was about 2,700. Um, but uh, there were a lot of fans there. And, uh, uh, you know, the passion for the fans, obviously, it makes it a good, well, it makes it good for Nebraska, obviously. But uh, Nebraska has the facilities and the commitment to uh, to be a host to a regional Um you know, whether that happens or not, you know, it, it's unclear. But certainly if you could win the Big Ten, um, that, would be a, that would be a step in the right direction. The thing that I don't understand still is why there is not a Big Ten tournament this year. Yeah, that's, that's odd. That's funny. The non-conference clearly is hurting because you could got to prove yourself against uh, the Pac-12 or the SEC yep. or the Big 12 to up that RPI. It's going to come down to how do you do against Ohio State, how do you do against Michigan, and how do you do against Indiana if, if you're Nebraska. I mean, Nebraska will be fine, but they, they still need to to show it. They've done their job, and they've done it really well. Um, yeah. But yes. uh, there's still some question marks nationally, I would I would assume. And, Mi- and Michigan comes to Lincoln in the final series. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, you know, that's good. And there's going to be a lot of attention on that, obviously. But the, so the opportunity is there for mm-hmm. Nebraska, but – but the attitude has to remain the same, game by game. You know, go on and and uh, take care of business. And if you can do that, then there might be an opportunity for uh, to host a regional. And you know, obviously, there's going to be an opportunity to to play in the NCAA tournament. Mike Babcock with us, Babbers. Thanks for jumping on with us. We'll check in next week. Always appreciate you. Great talking to you. You guys be safe. And now, and now back to Hale Varsity Radio. Big thanks to Mike Babcock, Barry Alvarez. Coming up in 20 minutes, we say hi to Mike Shuart, Wilderness Ridge Golf. Shuey, what did you think of the Masters? Thanks for jumping on today. It was disappointing. Okay, tell I mean, me, there, tell me there why. Were, there were some cool things, some cool stories. You know, Will Zalatoris, pretty cool story. Um especially with him because he actually was out here at Wilderness playing in a pre-qualifier um, about, I don't know, a month ago, a year ago. So that was kind of cool to see where he came from to what he did. That was a pretty cool story. The disappointing thing was to me is that I didn't think there was very good golf played. Okay. Which was kind of the, a little disappointing to me in the nature of the game now. Everybody's in this Bryson DeChambeau mode where it's just bomb it, gouge it. And it's like typically in the Masters, you see a group of guys that really kind of get on their game to the back nine. You see a bunch of great shots being hit, guys making birdies, you know, and a very exciting finish. And I just saw a lot of guys hitting a lot of bad shots and hanging on for dear life. <laughs> that's so it was that's, a, a that's little fair. disappointing in the play. You're you're telling me that Will Zalatoris found the the sand fewer than Schmidt did at Wilderness. 
Uh, maybe. Probably a few <laughs> less times. <laughs> you don't find the sand ever. You're right. I can't find my ball. Uh, <laughs> we got a drop, Shuey. Uh, no, that's that's cool. I want to I want to go back to to Zalatoris and just your connection with him and and go a little bit deeper there because he was. Uh, profiled quite a bit. We had uh, baseball with Junior on on Sunday, so I got to go have a couple of red beers before his game started and catch a little bit of early round coverage Sunday. And you know, and the features on on Zalatoris were really cool. And that's I did not know going Johnny Carson on you here. <laughs> didn't know that he had he had uh, spent time uh, playing in some events out with you guys. Yeah, I mean, he was out here trying to do Monday qualifying doing some of the qualifiers. He played up in Omaha, you know, finished 52nd, 56th in the tournament, you know. So it's like here was a guy that was, you know, just trying to find a place to play, earning his way out there, and then all of a sudden he's, what they say, he finished 56th in the Omaha tournament and made like $2,000. or No, he made $1,200, mm-hmm. and then he finished second in the Masters and won – one point two million. So, kind of in less than a year, uh, hmm, his bank account increased quite a bit. <laughs> I'd say so. He can get the uh, <laughs> the new ride. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, and Mike Zeltoris was a, a great story Sunday because the rest of the golf Sunday it just wasn't all that close. But we did have a moment where Xander Shoffley reeled off, I think, four straight birdies. Uh, looked like I think he was within three strokes with four to play. Uh, and then just as quickly as he was there, he wasn't there. He, he blew tripled. It. Yeah. 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 Did, did yeah. the pressure get to him there? Because it, it seemed like for a second, uh, when, uh, when was it Morikawa, yeah, he hit it in the water, you thought maybe the pressure got to him. Door but then, opened, yeah. Yeah, but, but, then he, uh, but then Xander Shoffley couldn't take advantage. Was it just pressure on, on Sunday of the Masters on that back nine? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of pressure because the Masters is the Masters. I mean, everybody wants to win the Masters. It's a major, incredible event. So the pressure gets a little to you. But you've kind of played yourself into that position. So it's like you should be somewhat on top of your game, focused in on what it is you're doing and what you need to do and and kind of in your groove, hitting a lot of good shots. You know, so you don't see typically guys – pull hooking it 50 yards over the green in the water and then the next hole the guy chunks it with a short iron in his hand in the water so it's like it was it was just a little disappointing because but that's kind of what I saw all week and how guys played I mean some of your superstar players I mean they played like pigs I mean they were horrible I mean DJ what he shoot I mean he didn't make the cut didn't come close to making the cut you know, so it was like I was just in, in Bryson is Bryson. I mean, everybody's in this Bryson kick, and it's just kind of a little disturbing to me. I hate watching Bryson play. He's just a smash, gash, and gouger, and and he hits it in the water as many times as he makes birdie. Mm-hmm. So it's like I'm not – that's not how I look at golf. I look at golf as kind of a purist game. You work on your craft to, to get – and perfect it and be pure at what you do. And you, when you get into that moment, man, you hit a lot of great shots, a lot of pure shots, and what the situation kind of demands, not just smash it down there and rip it in the trees and chunk it in the water. Well, well Mike, guys on Thursday leaving the course were comparing the, the, the Greens' firmness to a 12-round title fight with Mike Tyson. They said they were just going to beat up out there. Is that because... They're just spending too much time working on drives, trying to trying to outdrive Deshambo. 
Uh, I think some of that is, you know, and, and, and a little to their credit. I mean, the golf course was set up extremely difficult. I mean, the greens were super hard and super fast right from the beginning of the tournament. Usually tournaments, the, the greens kind of slowly get to that point by the fourth day, but they, it started out that day. I mean, those greens were, they weren't even brown, man. They were gray. Mm-hmm. And that's how rock hard they were, how fast they were. So I got guys a little on the defense right away. And they kind of played that way the whole week. Shuey, a thought on, on uh, Matsuyama's uh, win, specifically kind of seizing momentum after the, the weather delay. He was able to adapt and adjust to, you know, a change in the greens where they slowed a little bit due to the water. Yeah, and you heard a lot of those guys say that. I mean, they just could not, after the rain delay, everything kind of slowed down compared to what they were used to. Mm-hmm. And not many of them, other than Matsuyama, really adjusted to it, you know. And he was the first one to get adjusted to it quickly. And, you know, he went out and played a incredible back nine after the rain delay, which won in the tournament. It did, and uh, that's that's your difference right there. Should we, uh, a couple of minutes left, uh, less than... Give us an update at Wilderness uh, when it comes to, to getting fit, getting a membership, and also playing some some awesome course, some some awesome golf on on the course and of course that aquatic center that's uh, on the way. Yeah, I'm standing outside here looking at our building that's coming along nicely. Quite a magnificent structure, so super mm-hmm. excited about that. Getting closer each day, so that's exciting. We have a Titleist Fit Day coming up on Friday, uh, and Mizuno. We have a uh, ping fit day next Friday. So season's starting to kick in. We got our, our fitters, you know, and our companies coming out representing the new stuff, letting you be able to hit it. So if that's something that you're looking at, just give us a call. And we can we can find a time to put you in and waiting for some nice weather. Yeah, we, we had that 85-degree day, and then it's been kind of cloudy and chilly and windy. We'll take mid fifties, but we'd love some mid sixties and seventies yeah. soon enough, my friend. Soon it's enough, it's coming. It's coming. That's awesome, Mike Shuart, Wilderness Ridge Golf. Uh, Shuey can get you fixed uh, on the course, and also take care of you with getting fit for sure with some some new sticks. Uh, uh, I love uh, what my dad always would say, and that's uh, you can always buy game and uh, get uh, get that, uh, that that driver upgrade because it's clearly your driver's fault. Get a new driver. Uh, always. <laughs> so. Never our fault. It's always the equipment's fault. <laughs> no, it's my focus. Oh, I looked up again. It went three yards. Awesome. Shuey, uh, uh, best to you, man. We'll talk next week. Thanks for jumping on and spending some time with us. You bet. Thank you. Stay safe. You too, bud. There he is, Mike Shuart with us. Wilderness Ridge Golf, we blink. We get a shower from uh, Elijah about beer and right field at Old Miss. We talk a little Husker football, and hour one's almost done. And now. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Good to be with you. Hale Varsity Radio, Wednesday edition. We're presented by the Nebraska Lottery, Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal. We will uh, check in with uh, the Badger before he retires. Barry Alvarez in 10 minutes. Talk with Coach and uh, get his perspective on the transfer items, the uh, name, image, and likeness, and just his incredible career that began 
at Nebraska. Reminder about moving home sales. Man, they're uh, not a ton of homes for sale, but uh, the ones that, that are, you better snatch up. Or maybe it's time to move on because the price point is just too good for you. West Blue Realty uh, will take care of all of that for you if you're going to move in 2021. West Blue Realty specialized. They do a great job in residential home sales in Lincoln and the surrounding communities. And you mentioned Hale, Hale Varsity for a limited time. Uh, they can provide you up to $1,000 with the closing of your next home purchase. Tom Luby and Kelly Hofschneider, they are your guys. Give Tom Luby a shout today at 402-540-3768 or Kelly Hofschneider. Give Kelly a call at 402-202-2312. Uh, can log on westbluerealty.com, get an appointment, uh, stop by and see uh, Kelly today or Tom, 1120 K Street, Suite 200 with West Blue Realty. So one thing that's not been lost this week has been the uh, the affection, the, the the praise by Cam Taylor Britt and and other members of the defense. There there is a strong care and want to for their guy, Coach Eric Chinander. Chins uh, has done an unbelievable job as a coordinator and recruiter, and you saw his defense make a huge jump last year. More expected with a lot of super seniors back coming into 2021. But Coach Chenander today asked about his ability to connect with guys. And when you connect with guys like that, they will they will play at, at a higher and extra level for you. No, I don't think it matters where you're from or what your background is. You know, my job is obviously we got to play good defense. We got to win football games. But a piece of college coaching that I that I love is developing kids into men. You know, and, and obviously it's not all bubblegum and lollipops out there. Um, sometimes I lose it a little bit and have to get after people, but I think that those kids all understand that I love them. I love them dearly. I love them like they're my own. Um, when you love somebody, you know, sometimes they got to figure out what size shoes I'm wearing, and sometimes they need a hug. Sometimes they got to hear the truth, but I think they all know how much I love them. And I think that once they really understand how much you love them, that there's nothing you can't say to them, um, you know, within reason, obviously, but and they won't respond to. And then I think once they understand that you really do love them, they can come to you and, and talk to you about things other than football. And really, when they come and talk to me about football, that that's okay. But when they come talk to you about things other than football, problems at home, problems with the girl, uh, problems with whatever they may be having, that that's when you, you know you're really connected with somebody. Um, and like I said, I just I love the University of Nebraska and I love these kids. And that, that will never change. And I think that they understand that. That they do. And that's why you had so many guys come back. They want to better themselves, yes, but they love playing for that guy. He is a thousand percent authentic. And you get that type of connection, man. You can do special things, and it'll be fun to see this defense continue to grow. We'll hear more from Chenander. Some of the players that spoke today, Barry Alvarez on deck with Hale Varsity, presented by the Nebraska Lottery.
Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Back into it, it's Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Uh, a legend is retiring, and he's been a joy to have on the program for a number of years. Uh, Wisconsin Athletic Director and Coach Barry Alvarez, a standout Husker. Coach, congrats on, on what a wonderful career. How are you? I'm great. Thanks, Chris. Take me through the, the decision process here. Uh, coach to, to step away and was it hard is it time I mean how are you feeling right now I, I feel great you know what I was going to retire in January you know and, and with COVID you know I just didn't think that was the time to pass the baton and have uh, a new person have the burden of trying to work through that chancellor asked if I would stay on and help us get through it hopefully we're we're in the tail end of it now but uh I, I just felt like it was time you know I'm 74 years old and my wife's been trying to encourage me to do this for the last couple of years so I just think it's time Barry Alvarez with us coach I want to get back to to your career in a moment but can you put into words for the audience just from your position what it's been like to to navigate try and navigate this pandemic as an athletic director well, you know what it's it's it was draining because you know first and foremost what we tried to do is keep the health and safety of our student athletes and uh, coaches and and our employees at the forefront <clears throat> make decisions uh, based on that, make medical decisions. Um, and, and, and as we move forward, you get different information uh, daily. You know, you learn more and more about the virus. And um, so, you know, you're trying to make decisions. You're trying to anticipate some things. And, uh, you know, it, it was just it was really a draining process and a difficult process. Were you able to, with, with your position and your experience, dealing with something like this that no one's dealt with in this country for a century, were you, were you able to, to calm some fears with the student-athletes? You know what, we try to be uh, very open with them and their parents. You know, we, we work through our coaches. Uh, we, we, you know, we would have Zoom calls and informational se- sessions on testing and as we got the information. Uh, how we were going to test, what we knew, uh, how, you know, precautions we were going to take, you know. So, you know, we, I, I thought we did a good job of communicating all the information we had so that, uh, you know, parents had answers and, mm-hmm. and student-athletes had answers. Barry Alvarez with us on Hale Varsity Radio. Coach is uh, retiring here at the end of June. Uh, a marvelous run as athletic director of Wisconsin, Hall of Fame head coach. So, Coach, when did you know you wanted to, to make the jump and become an athletic director? And kind of take me through your thought process, if you can, in your career and your football life where you wanted to, to run a program uh, from the administrative side, not just the coaching. You know, th- this is pretty well documented. I uh, I really admired Bob Devaney and, and what he did and really tried to pattern my career after his. I can remember when Pat Richter interviewed me and talked about, you know, my my vision forward, and I, I told him, I said, I, 
you know, I want to do what, what, what Coach Devaney did. I want to turn that football program around. I want to sustain it. When I'm ready to step down from football, I want to take over the athletic department, take your job when you retire, uh, and continue to build the athletic department. That was, that was my vision all along. Uh, he, I joined the senior staff while I was coaching. Uh, and then uh, as, as he retired, the, the, the then-chancellor came to me and asked if I was we're – we're in the process of building our, our suites and, and renovating the stadium. And we came – right after 9-11, we came to a standstill. And he came to me and asked – he said, you know, uh, we're, we're asking people for donations. They want to know, you know, the direction of the athletic department. They, who, who's going to lead it? Uh, would you take over? And, uh, you know, I had some questions for him. And, uh, you know, we were able to work it out. So I did both for a couple years and then uh, moved into the director spot. How was it doing both? What was that like? Well, that was a grind. <laughs> you know, it's hard enough during football season to, to, to manage football. Um, you got to lean on a lot of people. I had a very good deputy, and Jamie Pollard was my deputy at the time. Um, you know, but, you know, all the decisions still run through me and ran through me. And, uh, you know, it was, it was difficult, but uh, it, it was manageable. What do you remember talking to Coach Devaney about when it comes to, to being an AD, reaching out to him uh, with, uh, with, with questions, with advice? I mean, Coach Devaney was such a mentor to so many. Yeah, I, you know what? I, I really never talked to him uh, about being the athletic director. I was coaching, you know, I, anytime. Mm-hmm. And I had a daughter that went to school. My oldest daughter went to school there. You know, so if I, when I went back, I'd go in and sit down and visit with him. And most of my discussion with him was about football and uh, what was going on in football. I had him come out after that first Rose Bowl that we had. I wanted him to uh, come out and speak to uh, our high school coaches association and uh, watch a little bit of our practice, spend a, little, a weekend with us, which he did and really appreciated. But uh I really never talked to him about being the athletic, you know, about athletic director decisions. You know, he had passed, I think, by the time mm-hmm. I, I took over as director. But I did, you know, anytime I was close to him or in town, I'd go and sit down and visit with him, mainly about football. Barry Alvarez with his son, Hale Varsity. And when it comes to your career, um, Coach Alvarez, were there some twists and turns? Uh, I look at your your ascension from from Lexington and before that at Lincoln Northeast and then uh, in Iowa and then you, you get hired away to uh, to the University of Iowa and then Notre Dame and then you start your own show at, at Wisconsin. What, um, what do you remember about climbing the ladder? Uh, and were you able to be patient with, uh, with the, the different stops you had in your career? Well, you know, uh, I always knew where I wanted to end up. Uh, it, it's difficult to get a, an opportunity to go to to get into college football. Um, I, I can remember I, I left Lincoln. I was very happy in Lincoln, mm-hmm. um, and but at that time, Link, the Lincoln public schools weren't elevate. You know, they would not elevate an assistant coach or hadn't at that time. So I knew if I wanted to move up in the business, I had to take a head coaching job. That's why I took the the Lexington job. It was a great move. I, I really enjoyed my my two years in Lexington. Had some great kids, some really good players. 
I thought I didn't want, did not want to leave Lexington. I had uh, most of those, the, the, my better kids were all sophomores when I went there. A number of them started at that sophomore year. I think we ended up second in the state. And I think four or five of those guys ended up playing in, in Lincoln uh, and then and playing other places. The next year we were about the same. Uh, I thought I had the best team in the state coming back as a senior. And out of the clear blue, I get a call from a former uh, Nebraskan, Roger Clough, who had been at Mason City for two years. Uh, saying that he was looking for, they've gone through the, they're looking for a football coach, gone through the the uh, interview process a couple times, couldn't find who they wanted. He said, I've been following you. Would you be interested? And I wasn't interested in leaving. And, and uh, he said, I'll, you know, I'll fly you and your wife out here. And, and my wife said, you know, we don't have anything to do this weekend. Let's do it. <laughs> and so we did. And uh, you know, they hadn't had much success. And, and, you know, we looked, she said, you know, this is really a nice town. How you know how to win? Uh, let's, let's do it, you know? And, and so we ended up doing that. We moved across, we left Lexington in a U-Haul and a, and a borrowed hay truck. To oh, move wow. To Mason City. And uh, our, our second year there, we were pretty good. Third year, we won a state championship, and that's the year Aiden Fry and Donnie Duncan came came to Iowa and Iowa State. Both of them offered me a job, and I'd I'd known Hayden, I've uh, known of Hayden, and uh, felt I could really learn from him. And that was a hell of a staff that I I joined there at Iowa. And I was really happy at Iowa. I was there eight years and uh, wasn't looking for anything uh, for another job when Lou Holtz called and, and actually recruited me. Um, you know, and after one year there promoted me to uh, from linebacker coach to defensive coordinator and we win the national championship win 25 I think 25 of the next 26 games and you know all of a sudden I'm a hot property so uh, that's how I ended up at Wisconsin well and when it came down to your your path you were always courted. I mean, folks recognized the talent, the ability, the success, and said, we got to have Coach Alvarez be our next. And was there ever a, a, a time that, that Lincoln called you to come this way? No. No? No, I never had an opportunity to go there. Um, uh, I had opportunities to go to a lot of places, including a few NFL teams, but you know, again, I'd always go back. It was always flattering when somebody came after you, and a lot of really good jobs, mm. some of the better jobs in the country. But, you know, I, we'd go back. My wife and I, we didn't want to be coaching vagabonds. Right. We wanted to plant our roots someplace, raise our family someplace, and call someplace home. And, uh, you know, we would always, you know, decide to stay right there. Barry Alvarez, couple more minutes with us. Hale Varsity Radio, uh, incredible career, retiring here at the end of June as athletic director at Wisconsin. Coach, uh, with uh, the the transition from coaching to the athletic department, uh, you have the ability to well, kind of go go a certain direction, and and it's it's being a CEO, you know, with with what you got to do from a fundraise. It's a it's a chance to to generate money. It's a chance to give back. Obviously, how and you're you're retiring, but with an agent name, image, and likeness that's ongoing in the transfer portal, those, those are two big things that that are 
going on with college football. How would you you deal with that? How would you combat it to to well, make it a, a good spot yeah, for everyone? Yeah, I, you know, first of all, I'm really concerned about the future of our of our business, and and uh, you know, I've always been a proponent of of uh, doing whatever we can for for the student athletes. I think some of the rules we've had, the NC2A rules we've had over the years, have been ridiculous rules to make rules. You know, we mm-hmm. used, to, used to be the, the rules on meals, uh, you know, all the different things. I think name, image, and likeness is the same thing. You know, if a kid is talented enough and, and can use uh, social media to generate money uh, and, you know, be of value, uh, they should be able to take advantage of that. Or, uh, you know, if someone wants to use their their image or use them to m- promote their business, they should be able to do that. Um, I just don't want it to get to the point where you're using that as enticement or, or re- for recruiting purposes mm-hmm. and, and, and you take it to a new level where, you know, uh, coaches go out or schools go out and, and, and drum up you know, sponsors for athletes before they even bring them in to use to entice athletes. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the lawsuits the you know, that are coming out where, the, you know, players want a percentage of the, of uh, you know, income, et cetera. They forget most schools are losing money. Most athletic departments are losing money. Um, you know, I, I, I really think it, it still has to be based on education. You know, and I, I tell our people all the time, I tell our our administration. I, I never recruited a kid and told, guaranteed them that they that they would start or they'd play. I guaranteed them we'd support them to get an education. That's what they're coming there for, and that's you know I believe that uh, from the time I went to Nebraska. And so I, I don't want to get too far away from that. It, you know, college athletics is not never should be pay for play. Mm-hmm. Transfer portal. I mean, that is, and, and we're looming on the NCAA passing the, uh, the the one-time transfer kind of free pass setup, and uh, people benefit from from transfers, and and it doesn't always benefit the kid because uh, it may not be easier, even though the grass looks a little bit greener, greener somewhere else. I mean, how, how have you been able to, to cope with the transfer? Yeah. I know Wisconsin's been pretty good about not losing kids, but other yeah. places are. Yeah. We're, we're fortunate. We have a good place. People to, you know, you could run some of our guys out with a cattle prod. <laughs> you know, uh, when you have a good place. And I, I, I put the onus on the coaches. You know, you're recruiting a, a person, a student athlete, you, you get a chance to go into their home, see what kind of background they have. Are they, do they have helicopter parents? Mm-hmm. Are, there some, are they someone that's going to be spoiled, someone you're going to have to de-recruit? Um, and then I, I put the onus on the coaches uh, to build a relationship with the student athletes uh, so that they want to play hard and play for those coaches. And, you know, I've said all along, I said in Big Ten meetings, if, you know, if a student athlete doesn't want to, doesn't want to be there, I don't want him there. Go ahead and transfer, mm-hmm. and that. But you've got to change now. Everybody's got to adjust, and you've got to have someone uh, that that's on top of not just your, uh, you know, overseeing juniors and seniors coming out of high school. You've got to be have someone on top of the portal and see if there's something that that fits you that you can go out and and recruit or go out and sign. So you you just have to adjust with the with the times. But I think it's it's fair for the student athletes if. You know, they, they've 
they see they have an opportunity to uh, for a better experience, then I, I, I don't have an issue with it. I really don't. It's Barry Alvarez, Hale Varsity Radio. We'll have a couple more minutes with Barry here on the other side, and we'll dive more into post-practice with Nebraska football and some uh, thoughts on the, the passing attack, not only Oliver Miller, but some of the Nebraska defensive backs uh, weigh in on what they're going against. But more with uh, the Huskers standout and legendary AD for Wisconsin, Barry Alvarez. We continue with him on Hale Varsity. So we need you to announce the fact that Trucks and Bucks from the Nebraska Lottery is back and they're giving away seven new blue trucks. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can do that. Okay, so to emphasize. And we're back. Fellas, I think we could listen to the radio On Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Yes! That's awesome! Winding down a few more minutes here. Barry Alvarez with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. Coach retiring here at the end of June. Uh, long and super productive career as AD and head coach at Wisconsin. Coach, what are you most proud of uh, as AD? I mean, what, what's, what do you want to be remembered for? Well, you know, it, it goes back to football. Mm-hmm. Uh, our, our, when I went there, I think our budget was probably $14 million, the athletic department, and, and they were $2 million in debt. Um, you know, they're, they're really, I think hockey was probably the only consistently good team at the time. Uh, so to build an athletic department, you have to fill the stadium. You know, you have to have success in football uh, so that you can fund – at a, at, a, at a high enough level, the other sports that you have. In our case, we've got 23 other sports. And and so the fact that we were able to have success in football, fill the stadium, and then help build the remainder of the athletic program, and then sustain it. The hard thing is to sustain it. Um, and I think since 93, we have, you know, to, to think of some of the schools out there and the brand names around the country, <clears throat> And, and, and at that point, Wisconsin had been to six bowls in the history of the school. Mm. And from that point, and our basketball team hadn't been to a, a tournament, NC2A tournament, since the 40s. And from that point on, we have more bowl appearances and NC2A basketball appearances than any school in the country. You know, that, that talks about consistency and longevity. And uh, that, that's, that's pretty special. And so that, that's the, what's make, what makes me so proud is what we've, we've been able to build and sustain. Coach, how much golf are you going to play? Well, um, I'm down in Florida right now. Um, <laughs> not very good. My wife even beats me now occasionally. Uh, I'll, I'll play two or three times a week. But I, I'm not going to, you know, I, I have to find some other things to do because uh, golf isn't isn't as satisfying for me as it used to be. Well, I I think if you maybe you, you, you zoom out and do four or five times a week, maybe maybe you start winning. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, the one thing I won't do is practice, so you probably won't get any better unless you practice. <laughs> so you're so you're no to the practice side. I like it. I like it. Barry Alvarez with us, coach. Uh, thanks so much. It's been so many uh, right. great conversations. Take care. All right. Have a great day, Chris. Bye. Barry Alvarez. That was fun chat with him. And uh, he, uh, he nailed it. He, they're just always good. And as a Nebraska fan, I know Wisconsin can, can rub you wrong. 
But what's going up on up in Madison, as he said it time and time again, is the the Nebraska the Devaney blueprint, and they're they're just always good. You got to build and sustain, and you know Elijah. As we dive back into spring football post practice thoughts, you know Nebraska's in the pro in the process right now of trying to build, and then once they build, sustain a, a high level. A lot of us grew up watching. Yeah, and just speaking of of build, how, how much of the problems Nebraska face now do you think stem from that Barry Alvarez recommendation of Sean Eichhorst? You know, I don't – I think it goes back before uh, Sean Eichhorst. But mm-hmm. Sean wasn't – didn't work out. Because like, I, I feel like a lot of – like there's a lot of Husker fans out there who are still mad at Barry Alvarez for that recommendation. They think, oh, Barry Alvarez – Here's, here's the thing, and, and Sean, Sean didn't work out, and Sean didn't work out because he didn't do his research on what type of Coach Riley was. And it's not that Coach Riley wasn't a good dude or hasn't won – Okay, but why are you firing and hiring? You just heard him talk about, well, one of my associate ADs was Jamie Pollard. How kick-ass has Jamie Pollard been at Iowa State? Mm. I mean, <laughs> right? So I, I, it, it goes back to uh, to Smiley. It goes back to the guy they brought in from Pitt. Way back to Peterson? Oh, yeah. Okay. That That's your... That's your when you hit the wall. See, growing up, I didn't actually know that much about Peterson, but I just knew that my uh, my parents called him a weasel. So, <laughs> <laughs> and, and listen, Steve was never a, a, a goon to me, but there's just enough there. You go there. I coursed and Riley. That combo wasn't good. All right, but there there was further damage ahead here if we get in the DeLorean you, you go back to the Peterson moment versus the the Eichhorst moment See, I just feel like there's a lot of animosity or not a lot of animosity but there's some animosity from Husker fans towards Alvarez for that whole Eichhorst thing. I think that's completely overblown I, I think Alvarez still has a soft spot in his heart for Nebraska oh he loves Nebraska he does he he loves Nebraska he's a proud Husker and and he ab- absolutely took his lessons from his time in Nebraska look to what look what he built I mean you trade in two seconds positions with Wisconsin football and basketball right now, wouldn't you? No, no brainer, question, yeah. Right. Uh, some thoughts here on you know where Nebraska is going here. Let's spend some more time on you know the passing game is is a topic of conversation. Plenty in hour one on just some of the the movement Adrian's made, uh, and you've heard it from Coach Lubick. You've heard it from. Uh, some of the guys on the offensive side of the ball, you've heard it from Coach Frost. Uh, Miles Farmer uh, weighs in. He met the media today, and he's coming back from his injury. Farmer's super talented guy. What a what an impact he made in that Northwestern game. You know, stepping in for uh, a, a member of his uh, backfield, where you got a guy out the first half against a Northwestern because of targeting. Right. Well, Farmer hit on the receiver room and just kind of where they're at. Those guys, those guys got way better. They're way faster. Their routes are way better. You know, it's just more depth, so that's good. It's, as long as they get better, they're gonna make us better. So that's, we're happy about that. We have about the receivers coming in. Uh, Quinn Newsom weighs in on the wideouts as well. The receivers, uh, they getting better and better every day. They look pretty good right now. And uh, I would say that I would say I line up against Oliver a lot. He's a very good receiver. Uh, I line up with Omar. He's a great receiver. Bats, it, and the list goes on and on. A latte, it's a lot of people. So, 
look, there's more high-level reviews on the receiver core, on the quarterback, and you can smile about that as a Nebraska fan. You want to see it on Saturdays, but the point is is they're getting better because they're getting spring and and beyond. Well, and, and the thing is, is when like these guys we just heard from, even more than the coaches, these guys are the authority on the wide receiver. Because they're going against, they're going up against mm-hmm. receivers every day in practice. And I mean, when you look at Miles Farmer and Quentin Newsom in limited snaps last year, they were going up against some very, very good Big Ten competition. Well, and Nebraska's secondary was was really good and really talented last season. They weren't an issue. They were the strength of the defense, more uh, on the receivers. And Oliver Martin, in Oliver's career, high-level recruit. You look at the Michigan stop, the Iowa stop, now Nebraska gets a chance to use a guy that's got a lot of talent. And Martin opened up a little bit here about the downfield passing attack. Last year in games, I don't I don't know if that was like the first read in a lot of our plays. And uh, now there's more of an emphasis on – if there is a vertical route and a concept, you know, to give it a look, even if it's not the first, supposed to be the first read, because we we've shown over over the spring um, that we can consistently get open on deep routes. That's encouraging, and if you can get open on deep routes, that'll make the defense adjust. And guess what? Your other routes can open up if they're worried about going deep. And that also backs uh, an extra dude out of the box from lining up against your run game and uh, your offensive line. So the trickle down. And it's interesting that he brought up the, well, it wasn't really what we were looking for last year. That wasn't always what we were reading for was the deep ball. Because, I mean, I can think back, I can't think back to specific plays themselves, but I remember watching games last year, watching the replay and being like, yeah, that dude is wide open 30 yards downfield, and it looks like Adrian never even looked at that side of the field. So I'm glad to hear like these coaches are emphasizing, like, hey, even if it's not the read, we got to look. If, if we got an advantageous matchup on the outside, if you got Omar Manny against some 5'9 cornerback. Bets. Bets, same way. I mean, even Oliver Martin himself is a, t- is a pretty tall guy. If you got that matchup outside, who cares about the, the five-yard first read you're supposed to have? Let's throw it up deep to the guy you who's know what got it comes a 6 down to? You know what it comes down to? It comes down to trust. Hmm. Do my guys, are they going to get open? Have I, have I worked with this receiving core that often? No, was the answer. Didn't get a chance to work with them that often. And especially because it felt like there was a new group of receivers out there every two plays last year for Nebraska. I mean, you, I couldn't tell you who was going to start. I mean, I knew who was going to be in the starting lineup every single game, but I didn't know who was going to be utilized from game to game. The why things were so sluggish on offense last year, or limited is probably a better word, is starting to emerge. Right. You've got bigger bodies. You've got guys winning matchups against a good secondary in spring right now. And you've got an emphasis to get downfield because your offense can't be what it needs to become. And it limits you with what you want to do. And that's be physical and run the football if there's no respect for getting beat over the top. And it almost feels like it could be a, a reversal of what Scott had. Because Scott, they had good long passing plays at UCF, but what their big splash plays were were those you know, runs up the middle that ended up going 40 yards, 50 yards, because it was uh, Killens, mm-hmm. which was just running all over teams for UCF. And it kind of seemed like the passing attack was what kept them in rhythm, those five, six yards lower routes, and then you'd break off a run every here now, or now and again. And, and now here at Nebraska, it's almost opposite. It felt like... Last year, especially with Dedrick Mills, that run game was picking up three, four, five yards mm-hmm. a pot pretty consistently. Um, but then they kind of used the passing game in the same way, looking for those little three, four, five-yard routes. Where it almost seems like they just 
they were expecting that eventually they'd have a, a run pop off and that would be their splash play. They never looked downfield. Well, they didn't look downfield. And do they have anyone that could get open? Do they have a big body that could get open downfield? And uh, they just didn't didn't try it. And another question is, can Adrian consistently deliver that deep ball? Sounds like he is in practice. And if you're doing it in practice, maybe, and he showed it his freshman year when he had a guy like Stanley. Mm. Or if they're paying attention to Stanley, I mean, how many how many uh, 60-yard-plus catches did J.D. have in his career here? A lot. Guy got open in the slot. And you're, you're going to have a variety of wideouts to worry about and also choose from where you can't just hone in on one guy if you're a defense if things continue to progress for Nebraska do we have time to to dive into Martin real quick here just some of his confidence levels and how it's increasing because he's another name that uh film looks great and you want to see it on Saturdays from Martin but uh, he's feeling better again he's a second year guy now in this system I'm playing primarily outside receiver at the X or Z. Um, I've played a little bit in the slot, and I think that I might play there more as we progress through spring and through the summer. But I feel fast, explosive. I'm really confident in my abilities right now. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like I can execute the plays that the coaches are calling. Well, that's good. Know what you're doing, and you can do what they ask. Well, I have a thought here on uh, Adrian Martinez from Oliver Martin as well. Uh, great to be with you on a Wednesday. It's Hale Varsity. We're presented by the Nebraska Lottery. He's in his 30s, but sounds like he was born with a stogie in one hand and a brew in the other. Now, say my name. It's Schmitty on Hale Varsity Radio. I got the body of a caught Pre-teen Swedish boy. Back with you, Tail Bar City Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Time for a Jock Doc Wednesday, Lincoln Orthopedic Center. Dr. Doug Tavis with us. Dr. Doug, how you doing? Well, enjoying a little sunshine this week. Feels pretty good outside right now. It's uh, nice and a little bit cooler, but yeah, the sun is nice and baseball's here and basketball's about to enter into some postseason action. And Dr. Doug, we, we talk a lot about knee issues and knee injuries, and I know a lot of Nuggets fans, and they're a fun team to watch what tough news for jamal murray this was uh well this was just uh very frustrating for him the organization and of course basketball fans here this postseason with jamal's acl a lot of midwest people really enjoying the nuggets run at this thing and then you know for me with the kentucky ties um it's pretty pretty, uh, tough news to see him go out with that acl injury and and if you saw the play you know you just you just hurt for the kid because he and it just crumpled. It was a non-contact, but as you watched this, Dr. Doug Davis, what did you see with uh, with Murray? And I know he's kind of had an injury-prone season, but man, for his uh, for his left knee to go down like this, that's really troubling. Yeah, as he's driving, you know, he's trying to split two defenders driving down the lane, and he's he's uh, coming down on the left side of the lane. Um, he, he really the the injury occurs. Um, higher in the uh, in the progression of the play, higher up in the lane, uh, you see him fall as he gets close, you know, right close to the basket. But the actual injury, I think, occurred one step prior to that, and um, you know, basically he's planting off that left leg, trying to make that final, you know, push into the lane. 
and uh, uh, knee looks like it hyperextends a little bit. And that's kind of the typical thing that you hear about or, you know, somebody will come into the office with an ACL tear and it's, yeah, I hyperextended my knee. Then you feel it, you know, you feel it pop, you know you've been hurt. And that next step, as you try to put weight down on it, you just, you just go down to the floor. And uh, that's kind of what we saw with this. I think it's kind of interesting that he was out you know, for the four games or five games before this because of pain in his right knee. Mm. And, you know, you kind of wonder whether or not, um, you know, whether or not he was kind of being protective as he was, you know, making that drive towards the basket of not putting quite so much pressure against that right knee. He may have been hampered by that. Dr. Doug Davis with us, Lincoln Orthopedic Center with Jock Doc Wednesday, looking at the footage here of Jamal Murray with his knee injury and you know he starts off he accelerates half you know from half court to the restricted area and tries to take off and immediately when he jumped because I think he went off that left foot he knew something was up because he didn't elevate as high yeah he did right yeah he didn't he really didn't even make an attempt at the shot no you know which which would have occurred in that you know, half step before the where it appears that he crumples. You know, and so he, I think he I think he knew that. You know, uh, from the from the step before. Doctor Doug, uh, thought here on on recovery now and and Jamal Murray uh, when it comes to to surgery and and fixing this here. What's his what's the the road to recovery look like for him with this left knee? Yeah. So. You know, ACL reconstruction has been one of the real triumphs of sports medicine, and uh, we've talked about that before, that realistically um, a player has a 93 to 95% chance of being able to come back and play at that same level of sports as what what they've been in the past. Now, there's different things that can influence how successful they are. Um, So as an example, if you have a meniscal tear and and a a tear that requires a significant removal of the meniscus um, along with the ACL injury, the prognosis is poorer for their ability to function um, at that higher level, um, at, at, at that same level. They may still be great enough athletes, you know, to be able to come back but they they may not function at that at that same point you know i think a lot of doctors careers have been made off of treating really really good athletes even if you know even if they're not um it's not always about the doctor it's about it's about those athletes and how good they are really recovery time and we look at the timeline here we're getting ready for the postseason this could impact murray's return for for next season and i think a uh, of course, Clay, right, and and his recovery with Golden State, where he hurt his knee in the postseason. This thing still takes a while to recover from, despite the advancements. Yeah, I think that's really true. And and uh, uh, you know, several years ago, uh, we saw um, um, one of the players for Chicago. Um, you know, that took uh, it was it was over a year before he was back. And um, it just is one of those things that each individual um, really needs to get to that point where they have the athleticism and confidence 
to be able to function with that knee as if nothing ever happened to them. I, I frequently will use the example for people of saying, you know, if a kid is, is wanting to go back, he thinks he's ready to go back, I'll say, look, if you're standing on a, you know, a two foot tall box and you close your eyes, jump off and land on that injured knee, mm-hmm. are you ready to do that right now? And, you know, if their eyes get big and wide, I know they're not ready to go. Uh, because they, they they don't have the confidence that it takes to be able to land that, and that's exactly what we're doing in sports. You know, you don't know where your where your leg is going to come down. You just have to feel your way down. You have to feel your way through the pivot, and um, and that takes an incredible amount of confidence. So it is not an easy re- road to recovery, even though it is so successful. Um, from the perspective of getting people back to sports. It is by no means an easy recovery. Dr. Doug Tavis with us, Lincoln Orthopedic Center at Jack Doc Wednesday. We're talking ACL injury, Jamal Murray, uh, his injury, the recovery. And Dr. Doug here, uh, a thought with Murray and his game. The, the guy is just so awesome. Getting to the rim, can shoot the three, can go off the dribble. I mean, he's a three-level scorer. And the the burst and acceleration is that a concern the side to side his agility is that a concern or with time uh can can he come back to well a shell of of what he's been because he's been a 27 point a game guy yeah i think there's plenty of examples of, of really good athletes coming back and and uh uh, you know, not only getting back to where they were, but you know, even getting better, and uh, getting better from the perspective of statistically getting better. Um, so you know, he's really had an explosive year, and you know, he's going to build off of all of those things as he comes back. And and I think that that yeah, you'll see the guy that was able to put up 50 points without going to the free throw line. You know, that, that, that's an amazing feat that he had this year. Um, but uh, in the long run, will this hamper his NBA career? Will it hamper his longevity as an NBA ball player? Yeah, you got to believe that there's going to be a price to pay for that somewhere down the line. But but in the short term, do I anticipate a guy who's going to come back and be, uh, you know, the star that he was? Yeah, I, I really would. Dr. Doug Davis with us, Lincoln Orthopedic Center. Dr. Doug, thanks for the time today. You take care of yourself, Chris. Thank you. Miss us? Come here, brother. Give me a hug. Bring it in for the real thing. We're on call for you. Catch the podcast at HailVarsity.com, the ESPN Lincoln app, or download them on iTunes. Saddle up, partner. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. Good stuff today. Thanks for spending time on Hail Varsity for a Wednesday. You miss any part of it, get to ESPNLincoln.com. The on-demand section will have all the interviews posted. Give us a follow on Hale Varsity and at Schmidt underscore radio or at Herbal Essence. And the ESPN Lincoln Twitter handle will also post the uh, interviews you want to check out at ESPN Lincoln. Many thanks to Barry Alvarez to reflect on his career in the Nebraska influence. Good to get caught up with Coach Alvarez. Shuey to talk some golf with Wilderness Ridge. And uh, awesome to spend time with Mike Babcock. Nice to have Elijah Herbal back from getting beer poured on him at Ole Miss, uh, down at the Arkansas Ole Miss series, which is, uh, that's sweet. That's a road trip. 
tomorrow, we are loaded up. Uh, more reaction to the transfer rule that's going to get passed by the NCAA. Gary Barnett with us tomorrow. Coach Ron Brown going to join us. We'll uh, get some spring thoughts from Coach Ron Brown. Brandon Vogel from Ale Varsity. Huskers and volleyball get rolling, and Vogues will have a take on spring ball. Burke's best bets, baseball's early in the year, but uh, Daniel has some thoughts on MLB and uh, who he likes uh, tomorrow night and into the weekend. A reminder about buckling up 70% of people in fatal crashes in Nebraska not wearing a seatbelt. If used properly, seatbelts can reduce the risk of fatal injury. Up to uh, 60%, your best defense in any crash, buckling up. Brought to you by the Nebraska Department of Highway Safety Office. Good stuff from Coach Chenander, Coach Lubick, Oliver Martin, as well as Miles Farmer. Really good stuff. Fun to hear from the players today. This is the uh, one of the, the, the final thoughts today that stuck with me as Coach Chenander uh, touched on his ability to connect with kids. And uh, he uses the word love a lot, and the kids use the word and feel of, of love as well back to him. He has been uh, really nice in developing a defense that's gotten better. The kids love playing for him, and, and Coach Chander expanded a little bit here about you know how he feels about his guys. Well, if you really love somebody, you should tell them. You know what I mean? And those kids need to hear it. Like you said, um, they all come from different backgrounds, and sometimes maybe nobody's told them that and that before. Or not enough. Um, and that's just not the way I'm built. He also loves them so much that, as he said earlier, they'll, they'll know what shoe size he wears. <laughs> that's the perfect combo. Sometimes you need to hand out a butt kick, and sometimes you need to give him a hug. So the more of that, you get winning football. Oh, yeah. I'm... Traditionally uh, traditionally speaking. And especially whenever you're going to be spending time. We, we, we touched on this uh about 15 minutes ago about, about the trust factor mm. of like we were talking about with quarterback to receiver but just among the positions on the defense like it, the trust is so paramount in being able to to just execute the correct defensive scheme and, and that comes back to to loving the guys you're playing with am i going to do what they ask me and is what this guy's telling me to do gonna work <laughs> why why go do something if it ain't gonna work you know i mean it, it's a whole giant pyramid here and uh check out the podcast and give us a rating tell us what you think of hail varsity itunes spotify google play uh love your feedback good bad or ugly it's all good talk to you tomorrow at four with hail varsity presented by the nebraska lottery have a good one